Let me ask you a question. How many of you worry? Worry. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, how many of you struggle with lying? The truth is, whether or not we want to admit it, and whether or not we think we do, we, we worry. There are times in our life that uh, we worry. I know Melvin and I have had this conversation a couple of times. And we, we don't like to call it worry, do we? We call it concerns. Which is, which is really what the definition of worrying is. It's being concerned or troubled about something. And I want to say something that may sound heretical, but I want to, I'll explain it. Worrying has some good parts. Let me explain that. Let's, let's go ahead and say this. Worrying is a sin, and we shouldn't do it, but there's some good things that can come from worry. Let me, let me, let me explain. Worrying can drive us to think. Can it not? Think about when you're worried about something. What do you do? You think about it. Your mind just goes over and over and over. And you know what? That's something that is lacking in our culture today. We don't, we don't think, do we? I mean, we don't, I'm talking about truly stop what we're doing and think about things. Think through things. Right now, I'll admit to you, I'm, I'm a very analytical person. That's my personality. I like to have a plan. I like to see the end from the beginning. And I want to know every reason why it won't work. Right? And if you'll and if I can tell you the reasons why it won't work and you can dispel all those reasons, then we'll do it. Right? That's that's how my personality works. But with that means that I, I think through everything. Sometimes to a fault, right? I pick things apart. My wife will tell me that I, I pick every little thing apart, and I do. And a lot of that is to help with the issue of worrying. Because here's what happens when we worry. Our mind just goes over and over and over about what we're worried about, but we don't do anything with it, right? Here's what makes worrying so bad. It puts us on this, on this whirlwind of uncertainty, and we just stew over it. And, and it causes us to experience something even greater, which is anxiety. Now, not every one of us deals with anxiety the way that that worry will bring us to that point. But you know that anxiety is one of the most common issues in our country today. In a given year, 40 million Americans deal with some form of anxiety. One, get this, this, this blew me away today. One in eight children deal with anxiety. Man, children, you're just supposed to play hide-and-go-seek and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when you're a kid, man. We have kids who are have anxiety disorders who are wrestling with things, right? Huh? Oh yeah, kids are doing this. And so and so anxiety is something that will grip you and hold you captive and will render you ineffective at life, much less uh, as a Christian. So anxiety is defined typically as this. It's it's an uneasiness, it's an apprehension or a fear. And that's a key word that we're going to talk about tonight. It is a fear of a future uncertainty. So we get afraid, we get anxious about the future. How many of you are afraid of the future? You don't have to raise your hands, but man, a lot of us, when we think about what is to come or 
what's out there, man, we, we get anxious. And anxiety um, manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but one of the most common is, is an anxiety attack. Anybody ever had an anxiety attack? Yeah. I'll never forget, it's been about three years ago, my mom called me one morning about 7.30, and she said, it was during hunting season, so of course, you know, we're all scattered around, and um, she said, I need you to go get your daddy. I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm not sure. Don't panic, just go get him. Well, of course, my daddy doesn't like cell phones, and so he didn't have his own. So I had to go trancing off up through the middle of the woods and get him out of deer stand. And uh, by the time I got back, Laura had called me, and she was on her way to Cone with my mom. She said, I'm having a heart attack. That's a big deal, right? So it gets to Cone, of course, she doesn't have a heart attack, but she has had a panic attack. You know, I want you to think about that for a second. Anxiety comes from what? Worry. Worry, which originates where? In our minds. But isn't it amazing how something can trouble us so much in our minds that we begin to exhibit physical effects from it? That's how powerful anxiety is. It can actually wreak havoc on you physically, right? And so it's not something that we want in our lives. It's not something... That is healthy for us. So, given that anxiety is so bad, we've got to understand, we've got to ask this question. What causes it? What causes anxiety in our lives? That list is very long, right? Stress, worry, but... Stress, yeah. So so here's the thing. Let me give you a list. This was uh, the uh, American Council on Psychology or something. I can't remember. Uh, what exactly called? They give the top ten reasons for anxiety. Here's what they are: death of a loved one, childhood trauma, something that happened in your childhood, divorce, finances, our job, poor health, personal relationships, uh, having a child who is chronically ill, being pregnant. That was something that was interesting to me. But also the fear of potential danger. Always being afraid that something's going to happen, right? So those are the, the top ten causes for anxiety in our lives, right? And those are legitimate reasons, right? Those are things that should certainly concern us, but we allow them to push us into this realm of anxiety. And so uh, Jesus deals with one of those specifically tonight in this passage that we're going to look at. If you remember the last few weeks, we've um, been studying in depth Jesus uh, teaching on earthly treasures in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And um, this is part of his sermon that deals with have, having the proper perspective on things. We're in that section on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, listen, here's how kingdom-minded people think. Here's their motives. Those that belong to the kingdom look at these certain things in a certain way. And we've talked about everything from giving to the poor to praying, to fasting, about how we're supposed to have the right perspective of all of those things. And so Jesus started off talking about our possessions, first of all, with what we're supposed to do with them, right? Remember? What are we supposed to do with our treasures? Don't store them up where? On earth, where moth and rust and thieves can destroy them, but do what? Store them up in heaven. And so what we have here are two things. We have um, this... Temptation that all humans have to amass and hoard stuff, right? Get it and keep it just for the sake of having it. And Jesus says it'll never last. Can't take it with you when you go. 
Someone's going to take it, a moth's going to eat it, rust is going to destroy it, right? Rather, our, our idea and what we're supposed to do as kingdom-minded people is to use the, the temporal earthly treasures that he gives us to store up treasure in heaven. And we talked about what that really meant. Here's the thing. Heaven is not lacking anything right now. There's nothing that heaven needs that we have. It's complete as it is. And so what is he saying by storing up treasure in heaven? You know, we say, well, it's the crowns and the jewels. Well, what are we going to do with that crown? We're going to lay it at Jesus' feet. So it's not ours anyway, right? And so the treasure in heaven is not the things that we necessarily do, but it's who's up there. Our treasure is Jesus. And so the things that we do with our earthly possessions shine and give more glory to Jesus who is in heaven. Right? That's why let your light shine before men. So they'll see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God. God, Right? And so storing up treasure in heaven are doing things with our earthly possessions, our earthly treasures that make Jesus look great and glorious. Right? That's what it means to store up treasures in heaven. So we use and give our treasures on earth because we understand our real treasure is seated with the Father. And so what this talks about, what he was talking about was where does our heart gravitate when we begin talking about our treasures? What stirs our affections? Is it Jesus or stuff? Because he says, what, at the end of that passage, where your treasure is, there your what will be? Your heart will be. And so he moves on from there, from talking about the heart and our affections to how we look at our stuff. What's our perspective of it? And he begins to talk about the eye, right? If you have a good eye, what does that good eye do? It helps you see correctly. But if you have a bad eye, it affects your whole body, right? We talk about if I'm, if I'm walking through the woods with my eyes closed and I come across a fallen log, that's not only going to affect my eyes, it's going to affect my whole body when I fall over that log, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, is not only are we to have the right heart or the right affections towards treasure, but we're to look at our treasure and think about our treasure in the right way, right? Your eye does what? It illuminates your mind, right? That's the purpose of the eye. Let light in so your brain can diffuse all the shapes and colors and tell you what you're looking at, right? And so he's moved from the heart to now the mind, right? And so then he progresses into our allegiance. So how does your heart feel about your treasure? What does your mind think about your treasure? Because those two things affect what you're going to do and who you're going to serve in your treasure. So, he says we cannot serve two masters, right? We're either going to love one and despise the other one, right? Or hate the other one, be devoted to one and despise the other. Here's what he's saying. You've got to pick a team. In your life on this earth, you've got to decide which thing is going to be your master. Either God or money. You cannot ride the fence. We talked about that extensively last week. That he, He's saying, listen, our focus in this life cannot be on these temporal, fleeting things that aren't nearly as significant as we think they are. You've got to choose. Serve God, serve money. You can't do both. Right? And so that's where we were. And so leading into tonight, we need to get a grasp of that so that we'll understand where he talks about our anxiety concerning money. So, and before we get to that, I want to I ask you a really important question. Um, where does your heart lie? 
where does your heart lie? Because here's what Jesus has, 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 has laid out for us in this last passage. What stirs our hearts affects our mind, which always leads to our actions. Another way of saying that is what we feel affects how we think, which determines what we do. And so the creator of our mind, the creator of our bodies, knows how we work and how we think, and he's telling us, here's the progression that you're going to follow, right? How you feel always affects how you think. And how you think determines what you do. And so you've got to have the right perspective of your treasures. And so the question is very simple. We asked it last week, I asked it in this week. Where's your heart lie, man? What stirs your affections? And, and I don't know if you've ever done this. I try to do this occasionally. Yes, ma'am? What did you say? You said what stirs our heart does what? What stirs our heart affects our minds, which leads to our actions. And so I, I want to kind of take you through a little exercise. We don't have time to do it tonight, but on the back of your handout, I want you to do this and take us home with you and really work on this. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to, to write down all the things in your life right now. Not just stuff, but, man, things that take your time, things that, that have your heart, things that you love, that you're, um, maybe things you're responsible for, maybe things you're burdened about. And just list those things out, all right? And then uh, I want you to make a column beside it, and then I want you to rank those things in order of importance. All the things that you've got going on in your life. And then the next column, I want you to rank them. Man, what's the most important thing? What's the least important thing, right? Just rank them, however many it is. And then I want you to do something else. In another column, I want you to rank the stress that those things cause you. Right? Obviously, if we like to play golf, which it causes a lot of stress for me, but if you like to play golf, maybe that's something you do to relieve stress, right? Maybe your job is extremely stressful. So rank those things in order of the stress that they bring about in your life. And then the final column, and here's, here's the key. Here's, what, here's the purpose of me asking you to do this. I want you to look at those things, and I want you to, to determine if they're earthly things or kingdom things. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that's earthly is bad, right? There are earthly responsibilities we have that we've just got to do. I'm not saying that they're bad, but I want you to take them and I want you to look at them and say, is this an earthly thing, an earthly responsibility, an earthly treasure, whatever, or is it a kingdom treasure? And the reason why I want you to do this is because I, I think this. Here's what I think. I think a lot of us will be surprised by how much of our time and money is spent on things that are, that are not kingdom things. We're going to get to the end of this list and we're going to go, man, who is my master? Is it God, truly? Or is it money? Or is it the things of this life that I feel like I've got to have to put me in the right position in this world? And the reason I think we've got to do this is because here, and let me just say this gently, I think a lot of us, including myself, I think we're lying to ourselves. And I think we, we think God is our master. We say he's our master. But man, our life just doesn't show that. I, re I was reading Matthew chapter 3 this morning um, uh, where uh, John the Baptist is baptizing, right? And he's uh, preaching about repentance. And he, and he says something when the Pharisees show up. 
And I thought it was really, really interesting. You know, he said, you brood of vipers. Who told you to come and escape the, the wrath that is sure to fall upon you? And, and what, what I learned from that and what I, what I took away from that is that, you know what? That there are things that, that we can look like and we can say. But here's what he said. He said, you know what? People know who you are by your fruit. What did he say? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's a life that, that God's looking for. And he says the axe is what? It's at the root. And it's ready to chop down those that do not produce fruit. And that just really hit me because look, here's the thing, man. My mouth can say a lot of things, right? My mouth can say anything. But the truth lies in what I do. And in the fruit that my life brings about. And so, man, when we look at our lives and the things that we do, the things that we spend our money on, we have to ask, man, are we eternally focused or are we so wrapped up in this temporal, earthly treasure stuff, man? You have to ask yourself that. So, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that concerns me. I see this in my own life. I see the, the tendency in my own life to, to just get in that rat race everybody else right and get and get and get so I can have 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 and so that I can boast in it really you know or so that I can covet what somebody else has you know we all know about that sin and what I'm afraid of is that if we get wrapped up in that rat race too much is that we're going to spend our lives getting and getting and getting and amassing all this stuff and we're going to get to the end of our lives and all we've got is a bunch of moth-eaten rusty stuff that King Solomon says someone else is going to enjoy when you die. And then we're going to get to heaven. We're going to meet Jesus. And we're going to have nothing really to show for it. Were you mine? Sure. We have to show for it. And my concern is that we're living a lie. And it's a huge issue, I think. And, and, and I don't think we can afford to just breeze over it and not address it in our own lives. And here's, here's what I found out in my young life. No one is going to make you change. Our culture's not. Our culture's not going to say, you know what, you really should be more kingdom focused. Right? Our culture's not going to tell us, look, it's not what's down here that really matters. Right? The pursuit in our culture's eyes is to get and get and get. And so if we don't do it, if we don't take responsibility for it, it's not going to happen. And listen, I know this. If you're a believer, I know this. The promise of the Holy Spirit is going to be there to tell you where your treasure is. Man, he, He's going to tell you where your heart truly is. And either you're going to make those changes and become more kingdom focused, or you're going to be miserable. Right? This passage tonight. But um, I feel like we need to address a couple other things before we actually get into the anxiety that money brings. We're going to talk about that a lot next week or next time we're together. Um, but there's a couple of things that I want to I feel like we need to address as kind of um, leading into this. The first thing is this. When we talk about anxiety with money, a lot of us, when we look at this passage, we say, you know, Jesus, my desire is not to just get rich, but I do feel like I'm a slave to money. And the reason why I feel like I'm a slave to money is because of a four-letter word that is terrible debt and here's the thing we don't talk about debt much in church right we don't, we don't talk about it and if, if we do talk about debt we had a debt need to be paid and jesus paid it it was great 
But we don't understand the, the ramifications that financial debt can have on us, not just physically, but man, spiritually. Financial debt will wreck our lives spiritually. And so here's the thing about this. Debt makes us a slave to money. Does it not? The Bible says that, that the debtor is enslaved to what? Or the one who has the debt is enslaved to the debtor. The debtor is enslaved to the loaner, however you want to say it. So if you're in debt, I want you to think about this. How much anxiety comes with that? Man, you, just, you don't answer the phone, right? You get that letter and it's got the big red words on top of it. Collections, right? You know, I mean, I, I, I've been there. I know what it's like. Your palms get sweaty, your heart beats fast, and then you start to say, man, you know what? You blame it on somebody else, right, while you have the debt. That tends to be what happens. But there's a lot of anxiety associated with debt. And so I want to speak very truthfully to you, but also very graciously about debt and what it can do to us. Not just from a biblical perspective, but as your associate pastor, somebody that has dealt with debt in his young life. And so um, let's talk about this first of all. Two specific passages concerning debt. Romans 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says, do not owe anyone anything. How, how straightforward is that? Don't owe anybody anything except for what? Except to love each other. Right? The only thing we should owe one another is love. Right? Psalm uh, 37, 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. So, so if I have money that someone's loaned me and I don't pay it back, I'm wicked. Wicked. But the righteous is generous and gives. Now, I want to be clear about something. I want to clear this up. The Bible does not speak against borrowing money. It's not wrong to borrow money. It's not always the wisest thing, but it's not wrong or forbidden to borrow money. If you look through the law, the law talks very extensively about borrowing money, right? It talks a lot about loans, how much interest you should charge, right? It talks about the forgiveness of debts. So, so we see in the Scriptures, even all the way back in the nation of Israel, that people had to borrow money from time to time. Right? So I want you to understand, I'm not talking about borrowing money. It's not necessarily bad to borrow money. Here's what is bad. Borrowing more money than you can pay back within a reasonable amount of time. That's real bad. Right? And so um, in the culture that we live in today, here's what we found out. It's l real easy to get a line of credit that's way bigger than your credit worthiness. Right? Um, you can get a whole lot of credit. And not have to have a whole lot to show for it. Um, and, well, and we have a lot of opportunity, right, to stretch that credit as far as we can, don't we? And if you look at if you look at it, most of our credit lines are a lot bigger than we really thought they would be. Like, oh, I didn't know I'd get that much. I fell into that trap when I was in college. Um, if you've been to college in the last, I don't know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, and maybe even before that. Right outside our cafeteria, I don't know, two or three times a semester, there would just be these tables. And it was credit card representatives. And look, you're in college, right? And you don't have anything. I had to borrow a pencil most days, right? And so you were walking into the cafeteria, and there was this guy, hey, you want a free T-shirt? Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> that means I don't have to wash the one I got on for a while, right? 
Or how about some free sunglasses? Or, or you know, the, the big one was like these coupons for meals. I mean, you're starving to death anyway. You're a college student, right? And say, hey, how about, you know, a book of coupons to McDonald's? Well, absolutely. What do I need to do? I'll just fill this out. No big deal. Just fill it out. Put your social security number on that. I learned you don't put your social security number on a lot of things. That's important. So fill this out, sign it, and they're going to send you something in the mail. You know what those were? Credit card applications. I had four credit cards when I was in college. Didn't even know I had them. Didn't even know I had them. All I wanted was a t-shirt, man. You know? But here's, here's what happened. Here's what we learned. You can get a credit card at nothing. Right? They want you to get it. They will give you things to get a credit card. And so here's what's happened to my generation. And this is something that's kind of this post-World War II American dream thing that, that we fell into that was not good. Here's kind of what we fell into. Um, the American dream taught us that we can overcharge and underpay. You know, credit card statements have this thing on there. You see them every month. Minimum amount due. And then it tells you how long it will take you to pay that off. You pay the minimum amount. It's like the rapture will happen before that comes back, right? You know, have a $5,000 debt and your payment's $15 a month. Come on, man. But that's, that's what we've, we've learned. You can overcharge and underpay, right? You, you need to get what you need to get to look the part even if you can't pay for the part. That's, that's what the American dream kind of taught us, right? We've all got to have the cookie-cutter home with the, the picket fence and the dog and two-and-a-half children and all that good stuff, you know? And we fail for that. And here's what's happened. We spend our lives working to pay off all that stuff. And so we see this. It was a couple years ago, 2008, the housing crash. We see people now making mortgage payments for a $200,000 house on a house that's worth half that. They're upside down. Right? Why? Why? Because they overcharged. And then the market crashed, and now they're paying for something that they don't even have anymore. And that's kind of where we are today. That's the culture that we live in. And so what my generation has learned is, uh, is apply for a credit card in college, max it out as quick as you can to get all the stuff that everybody thinks you ought to have, and then when you get out of college, go to work and work the rest of your life to pay those credit cards off. You've heard me say this before. My generation goes to work to pay bills, not to earn a living. My generation is so far in debt, I don't think we'll ever get out of it. We work to pay bills. Because why? That's what we were taught. We were taught that that's what you need to do to look like everybody else. And so what is that, what is that made my generation? A slave to money. We are enslaved to money. And so the question is, now what do we do about it? If, if the Bible says that it's bad to be in debt and we shouldn't do that, how do we get out of it? Well, very simple, but probably the hardest thing we'll do. Get out of debt. Well, how do you do that? Make some really hard decisions. You scrounge and you save and you almost starve to death if you have to. But you pay that debt. I have a school bill that's crazy. And I have been on the phone with those people for many years because they have a hard time taking my money. Imagine that. 
And I've said this to him on several occasions. Ma'am, I owe you money. That is my debt, and I'm going to pay it. But you know, there's so many of us trying to duck and dodge our obligation to pay back that what we're doing is we'll get on a payment plan, right? We'll get on a payment plan and, you know, I'll just make the minimum amount of payments and, you know, we'll just pay that to the day we die, right? And it's wrong and it's sinful because you are not getting rid of your debt. We've got to get rid of our debt. And God's blessed us with some really smart people, Christian people, who can help you do that. And listen, I'm not trying to give you financial advice. I'm a preacher. I am not a CPA or anything like that. But here's what I do know. God in his grace has allowed some good men like Dave Ramsey. Many of you have heard about Dave Ramsey, who has studied this, who has walked this journey, who helps people get out of this type of debt. You know what that means? It means you don't go out to eat. It means that you pay cash for everything. It means that you sacrifice in order to get free from this bondage. And here's why he's so passionate about it. Because he says this all the time. Debt is not a financial issue. It's always a spiritual issue. And if you don't get out of debt, you will not ever break free from the slavery of money. And it has eternal ramifications on your life. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And as long as we're having to pay back debt, we can't serve the one that we were created to serve as well. And so here's the point. Sometimes we become slaves to money without meaning to, and that leads to all sorts of anxiety and strife. And man, we can wreck our lives trying to maintain a certain lifestyle when our debt just continues to grow and grow. And so we've got to make a decision. I've got to get free from this debt first. And until we do that, here's what we're going to do. We're always going to look at money as more significant than it really is. And that's where Jesus is leading us in this next passage. Again, it's about appropriate perspective, having the right perspective. And Jesus wants to show us the reality of the necessity of our treasures. He wants to look at them uh, from the proper perspective. And so here's what he said. Don't let it have your heart, right? Don't let it skew your thinking. Don't become a slave to it. And so here's what he's saying in, in this new passage. He's saying money is not nearly as important as we think it is. Now, I don't know about you, when I hear that, I go, all right, Jesus, you need to prove that. Because everywhere I look, it is that important, right? Everybody I talk to, it's one of the top three things on their mind, right? So prove to me, Jesus, that it is not as important as we make it out to be. And so that's what he does here. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. I'll read the whole passage to you. We're only going to talk about 25 and 26 in the time that we have uh, left this evening. But here's what he says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here's where we're at this evening. I want to bring out something that really doesn't have a lot to do about finances from here on out. Next week, we're going, like I said, we're going to get into all that. But I want to bring something out that's secondary to the context of the passage, but is so, so, so important to gaining the right perspective about our money. Here's, here's what we're going to talk about. First, Jesus says, therefore, right? Anytime you see that in Scripture, what does that mean? Go back and see what it's there for, right? So Jesus has made, uh, he's making a conclusion, he's drawing a conclusion from the previous passage where, here's what he said, money's not that big of a deal, right? It shouldn't have your heart, shouldn't have your mind, you shouldn't be enslaved to it, it's not that big of a thing in your life. Now again, some of us may not be convinced that that's true, and I believe Jesus knew the same thing. I believe that when he was preaching on that mountain to those people and he was saying, listen, money's not that big of a deal, there were people in there going, yeah, right. He knew that. And that's why he began to preach this next part. He's going to show us why we shouldn't worry about money. So here's the way you would read this passage. Because money isn't our real treasure and because it's not valuable enough to consume our lives and because we can only serve one master, then put your view of money in the right perspective. That's what he's saying. Therefore... Put your view of money in the right perspective. But it's interesting how he makes this point. Listen to what he says. Don't be anxious about what? Your life. Isn't that funny? He, he didn't say, now don't be anxious about your savings account. Don't be anxious about your 401k. Don't be anxious about your mortgage, right? Don't be anxious about your life. Here's why I think he said that. It's because many of us gauge the value of our life based on how much we have. My life is only successful by what I have. And so Jesus uses this word life here in exchange for money because he knew that so many of us exchange it ourselves in our own life. Many of us look at life as a life or death thing, right? Right? If I don't have it, I'm I'm not going to make it. Right? That's why we read verses 19 through 24 and we have such a problem with it, right? We feel like Jesus is oversimplifying such a huge thing in our life. But Jesus is trying to get us to see, listen, it's not as important as you think. Don't be anxious about your life, your day-to-day affairs, your needs, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to put on. Now, in our human perspective, we say, well, Jesus, you know, that'd be a whole lot easier for me not to worry about what I eat or drink if I had enough money to buy food and clothing, right? That's the way we look at things, right? When the refrigerator's full, it's easy to trust God, isn't it? Right? So, so God, here's how, we, here's how we establish this, right? Here's how we solve this problem. Just give me enough money, and I won't have to worry about eating or drinking or, or buying clothes. And Jesus says, you, you've got the 
the place misplaced, right? Here's, the, here's what that statement says. That, that statement I just made. Jesus, if you really want to be not worry about it, you give me enough of all the money. Here's what we're saying. Um, if, if we believe that money will ease all our anxieties concerning our day, daily needs, what we're really saying is that money dictates my welfare in this life. If, if I have enough, things are going to go well. And so the converse of that is if, it's, if, I, if the absence of money then puts my life in jeopardy. And so what does that do? It insinuates that the power of life is bound up in the pocketbook. Let me say that again. When we think that way, well, you know what? If you don't want me to worry about it, you'll just give me more money. What we're saying then is that the power of life lies in the hands of money. Now, I want you to think, who's the author of life? How insulting would that be to the author of life to come to him and say, you know what will really get me through? is more stuff. That's, that's what we're saying to the author of life when we say, you know what, life would be so much easier if you just give me more stuff. So Jesus then asks us a really important question, one that we need to ask ourselves. And this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this evening. He says, is not life, this very thing we've been talking about, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, Jesus is asking, is the value of our lives merely based on what our money can buy? Is that what you think life is really about? That's what Jesus says here. Do you really think that this life is about what you can amass and buy? It's a sobering question for us to think about, isn't it? It is the root of all evil. That's right. So, so what, is, what is this life that we have? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about life. What is it? What makes it worth living? What, what is the most important thing about it? Here's how brilliant Jesus is as a preacher. He's going to get around to financial anxiety. But but in order for us to understand what financial anxiety does to us, we've got to understand the root of the whole issue. It's our problem, not only with our heart, but with the way we view our lives. Why are we even here, right? That's the big philosophical question that everybody's been trying to answer, right? What are we doing here? He's getting ready to show us. He is forcing us to look outside of our our narrow, short-sighted view of our lives and say it's not measured just by monetary value. Our lives are measured by the truth of what you say our life is about. And so that's what we're going to look at. And so here's what we need to do. We just need to talk about life a little bit. Let's go all the way back to the garden with me, right? God has created the heavens and the earth. He spoke stars into the sky. He spoke and water was made. He told the ocean... Don't go any further than this. And it didn't. He said plants. And plants grew. He said elephant. And an elephant started walking. Then he got down to the prize of his creation. And the Bible says that he didn't just say human. The Bible says that he took, took dust with his hands. And he formed us. You understand that we're the only part of creation that God touched to make. And he formed us. 
out of clay and he made us in his image and then he did something amazing he breathed into us he didn't breathe life into an elephant he breathed life into us you know what he did you know what he was doing when he did that he was giving us a soul he was giving us the eternal part of himself when he breathed life into us. And so he formed us with his hands. He breathed life into us. He made us into his image. Not only that, he didn't stop there. He gave us five senses. The ability to hear, to see, to taste, to touch, to smell. He didn't have to do that. We could exist without those five senses, right? But he chose to give us the ability to see, but not just in black and white. Man, what, what, y'all can tell me, what are those purple things going down the road? What are they? Red buds. Are they not the most beautiful things you have seen in your life? Dogwoods, buttercups, tulips. I saw a red cardinal this morning, man, just bright as he could be we have the privilege of seeing that man I'm not going to get on the whole food thing (laughs) the ability to smell and textures of food and to taste the difference between salty and sweet and hot and sour savory we can eat and worship while we're doing that because of the senses that God has given us. I hear some kids back here, man. Isn't that cool to hear kids? Man, when I come in the door and I hear my, my old boy running, Daddy! I get to hear that, man. Then I get to wrap him up in my arms. I get to feel him hug me. God didn't have to give us that. But he did. But not only did he give us senses, man, he created us a certain way Think about our bodies. Think about how intricate our bodies are. That our brain processes information in milliseconds, man. The synapses in our brain going back and forth are moving faster than the speed of light. I mean, it's boom, 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 boom. We don't have to think about that. We don't have to think about breathing because God instilled in our bodies the ability to do that without having to think about it consciously. And he's given our bodies the ability to walk and to move. We have thumbs. Do you, do you understand how cool that is to have thumbs? Big toes. You can't walk without them. And he gave them to us. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139.14. You, you know the actual Hebrew phrase of that verse says? We were awesomely made to be set apart. You know what that means? We're different from the rest of creation. And God made us specifically that way. Muscles. Man, the the ability to, to pick things up. Ephesians 2.10 says this. He says that we are His masterpiece. You know what that means? God's proud of us. He is proud of His creation. He is passionate about us. 
But man, it doesn't just stop at us as created beings. He feels a certain way towards us. Amen. Psalm 17, 8 says that we are the apple of his eye. Man, if you're a parent, you understand what that means. Man, he's proud of us. And so I think about the complexity of our bodies, the ability that he's given us to move, to think rationally. Man, we don't act on impulses because he's given us a brain to think through things, to create things for ourselves. And he's given us emotions. It's easy to see that, that God desired so much more for us just by looking at how he created us than to just merely exist. You think he created all this the way that he did for us to just go to a job and work? Do you think that He created us as complex as we are in His image and breathed His life into us just for us to have a mortgage and try to pay it off before we die? Is that what we were created for? Certainly not. We were created not to exist, but to live. We're the only part of His creation that lives forever. The earth's going to get burned up and a new one made. We'll live forever. We're the only part of His creation that's able to get married and to be able to understand what it's like to have a relationship with another human being as like the relationship He has with us. We're the only part of creation that has a will. We're the only part of creation that gets to experience the feeling of being set free by the Gospel do you know that no other part of creation gets to experience the benefit of the gospel? Ephesians chapter 3 says that we teach angels about this mystery known as the gospel. We get to experience that. We get to feel the sun on our face. Man, we get to see our children and raise our children to grow up to love this God that loves them so very much. We get to do that with this thing called life. Man, that's not an exhaustive list, right? But these are all things that God has allowed us to experience and to be. And it makes up this thing called life. And therefore, our life is incredibly valuable to God. What Jesus is getting us to do here with this question in verse 25 is not, not to cheapen the amazing gift of life by just boiling it down to just getting and spending money on stuff. Oh, please, folks, don't think that that is the summation of your life, which is to get and spend. In fact, he goes a little bit further. He says money and earthly provisions should be one of the last things on our mind. How do I know? Look at verse 26. Look at the birds. I love this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So, so here's what he does. He says, look. Greek phrase there means to carefully consider it. Don't just look at it and say, that's a bird. Look at them. What do they do? Inspect them. Observe them. And he's telling us to look at their life. Look at the birds of the air. And he starts off by saying, look, specifically look at what they don't do. What do they not do? 
They don't sow nor reap. Right? They're not responsible for their own nourishment. Right? They don't store things in the barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. So here's, here's what he's saying. These birds, they're not concerned. They're not fretting over where that next worm is coming from. They trust God. And God provides the worm. Right? Now, <laughs> here's something that, that, that he does talk about. And he doesn't say it in the passage, but we know that everything God created was for a purpose and a reason, right? Everything serves a purpose. The little cardinal that I saw this morning serves a purpose for the kingdom. It's to bring glory to God, just like everything else. And so that little bird has a purpose. And here's the purpose. It's for that bird to be what God created him to be. And you know what Jesus is telling us? That's that bird's only concern. He doesn't care about storing and reaping and sowing. He cares about being a bird for the glory of God. Now, we can look at this and we say, well, you know what? That's just ridiculous. Because I'm not a bird. Right? I have responsibility. Right? All, wor- all birds have to do is just fly around and eat worms and chirp. Right? That's all they got to do. I got a job. I got kids. I got a mortgage. Right? I have responsibility. So how dare Jesus equate me or want me to learn something from a bird? I mean, I, I got to be honest. I'm, I used to read it and go, it has nothing to do with me. Right? I have real life problems. This bird eats worms. There's no relation. Right? Here's the thing. Here's something that I've, I've learned. When we look at that bird and we say, you know what, I have more needs than that bird. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to say. He wants us to realize that you do have more needs than the bird. That He did create you more complex than that bird. He created you with more responsibilities, more things for His glory than that bird. Notice what He says. These birds don't sow nor reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. The very thing those birds need for survival is provided by the Creator of those birds. Right? God expects those birds to fly around and to sing and to make more birds and all that good stuff. Everything that He created them to do, that's the expectation God has on those birds. And so here's His promise and here's His end of the deal. I'm going to give you everything you need to be a bird. That's what He's saying. And so when we look at it and we say, but I'm more complex. I need more things. God's going, I know. I created you to be this complex spiritual thing that you are. And therefore, I'm going to give you everything you need to fulfill your purpose and calling in your life. God created us to live the life that He created for us. To spend our days bringing Him glory through all the things that we set our hands and our hearts to. Through our work, through our children, through our spouse through our hobbies, through everything we do, He has called us to bring Him glory. And yes, one of those things is to work. But we work not just to bring a paycheck home, man. We work 
as unto the Lord. Right? Why? So that the world where we live or where we work will see the glory of God in our lives. We must be very careful not to take something as amazing as life and just boil it down to just earning money. The birds spend their days being birds because that's what God created them to do. And they bring Him glory by being birds. And I make sure, God says, that they have everything they need. And then look at the last part of verse 26 and we'll end here. Man, I pray you get this. So He says, look, they don't sow or reap or gather and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Man, I want you to get this. I pray God writes this on your heart. Are you not of more value than they? These little birds chirping around and flying around and God takes care of every need that they have. And It's almost like I can hear in Jesus a little bit of hurt. He says, don't you think that you're more valuable than that? He goes down and says, look, you have little faith, man. I'm going to take care of you. Are you not more valuable than they are? If God gives those birds everything that they need to live, why won't He do the same thing for you and I? You know, oftentimes I believe that the reason we get so bogged down and consumed with gathering and hoarding our treasures and the reason why we make earning a, a living so much of a priority is because I believe that many times we think it's because it's completely up to us. It's my responsibility. The burden of that is on my shoulders. And if I don't do it, nobody's just going to show up in my house with a check, right? And I believe we get so bogged down in that thinking we believe that God doesn't have anything to do with our needs, that He doesn't care about what we need. We fall for this lie that they're not His worries and He's not concerned about those parts of our lives. And then we fall into that old saying, well, if I don't worry about it, who will? You ever heard that? Well, somebody's got to worry about it. If I don't, who will? And we begin to look at our life that way and it causes us to be driven into this whirlwind, like I said earlier, of just money and hoarding and it becomes this big thing that God says, it's really not that big of a deal. I got it. And I'll provide it. The reality is, though, that, listen, God is absolutely aware of every detail of your life. And I believe that He is so sovereign over your life that He cares about every minute detail. God cares about your clothes that you wear. God cares about the food that's in your refrigerator. God knows what you need. And here's the best part. He wants to give it to you. He promised to give it to you. And so we must then trust Him. Our job is to be focused on living this life that He's given us and to make much of Him and depend on Him for our daily bread. And so it all starts with understanding life itself. Why am I here? I'm here to bring glory to God. And if He created me for that purpose... He'll give me everything that I need to fulfill that purpose. Mm-hmm. Psalm 138.8, what is it? The, the Lord, Lord fills the purpose of me. 
the Lord will fulfill His purposes for me. That includes every single detail. So here's something I think we need to write down to, to remember this message and what Jesus is talking to us here. What we have is not the measure of our value. What we have is not the measure of our value. Rather, who we belong to is. We are children of the King. And every good and perfect gift comes down from above. Everything that he has is ours. He owns a cow on a thousand hills. And he's promised us that he will, what my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You know what that means? Sometimes the check just does show up in the mailbox. And sometimes he keeps you healthy a whole year so you can work all year long without getting sick. But he provides. Of the two before we, before we, we close, this is from Arthur Pink. I love this. I read this today and it just really stuck out to me. He says, what will it matter a hundred years from now whether we fed on the fat of the land or the poorest affair? Whether we were dressed in silks and satins or the cheapest of garments. But it will matter everything whether or not we fed on the land or were clothed with the robe of his righteousness. You know what he's saying? Matter what you have, man. What you have is what he wants you to have, and it's good. And next week we're going to get into one of my favorite verses in the scripture. Seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of everything else. God knows what you need, so trust him with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had, and Lord, we thank you for your word. We understand that this is a, a passage of scripture that goes against everything our society tells us. Amen. We understand that the lifestyle that we have maybe been forced into, maybe we've chose, Lord, is not the lifestyle that you have for us in your word. And Lord, maybe for some of us we've gotten into a hole. We need help getting out. Lord, I believe that that falls into your promise that you'll provide everything we need, Lord. Your desire is for not to be enslaved to anything Lord, we were enslaved to sin and you made a way for us to get out of sin through your son Jesus. So Lord, if we're enslaved to debt or money, Lord, I, I know that you uh, will provide a way for those of us enslaved by that to be free from that as well. Because Lord, your desire is for us to have no other gods but you. To be enslaved by no one but our master. So Lord, I just pray that God, the desire of our heart would be to be set free from this anxieties that money and the cares of this life bring about and that we would trust you Lord, with everything. Lord, we, we trust you with our soul at salvation. God, give us the faith to trust you with our pocketbook. Lord, knowing that everything that we need, you provide. And Lord, you are faithful to continue to meet those needs. So Lord, just, uh, just work on our hearts, Lord. Teach us how to live. Lord, help us to repent of the things that we've done wrong. And Lord, to be willing to submit to the things that you have taught us in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.